Uh, we're not going to read from God's word and get people to read from that. Uh, my name is Jeffy. Uh, today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 25, from verse 19 to 34. So it's obviously going to be the center page. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was four years old when he took Rebecca, the daughter of Bedouin, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was bad. So the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, on his body was a hen cloth. So they called him, they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding es Esau's hand. So his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. When the boys grew, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man. Dwelling in tents. Esau loved, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau saw, said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my is a birthright? And Jacob said, Swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentils too, and ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This year is the 40th anniversary of the liftoff of liftoff of Voyager 1. Voyager 1, which is a space probe which was sent to explore Saturn and I think Jupiter forecast. And it's making its way at this moment away from the Earth out past What's that? Pluto, that's right. It's not a planet anymore, it is again, but it's way, way off. So 40 years ago, uh, Voyager 1 was launched to explore the solar system. On board were all the scientific gadgets needed to test for whatever this and that chemical and so on and so on and so on, and all the best gadgets that the 1970s could offer. Uh, I don't know if they were. But also on board was a capsule. Actually, it was a, it's a golden record. I'm not sure if the record is made of gold or if it's a record which uh, just looks gold. But it's a record as in an LP. Uh, now, I don't think I need to explain to you guys what a record is. Does everyone know what a record is? Yeah, like vinyl. 
Uh, I think a generation ago didn't know what vinyl was. Uh, apparently there are some big hits being released on vinyl this week. Is anyone buying something on vinyl? No, well, okay, good. Uh, I don't know why you could, we got rid of it. Anyway, uh, on this golden record is are recordings of humans doing human things. There's images of things on Earth, uh, images of humans and animals. There's uh, musical recordings and so on. And it's what we want extraterrestrial life elsewhere in the universe. If they ever were to discover it, what we on Earth are like, what it means, what it looks like to live on Earth. Now, if you were commissioned to put something on board the payload of, say, Voyager 3, there is Voyager 2 out there somewhere, I've got Voyager 3, what would you include? What do you think would describe in a clear way what it means to be human or what it means to live on Earth or what Earth is like? Interesting, isn't it? No doubt we have our preferences. Uh, who we would want to put up there? You know, who is the quintessential human? Someone like a Usain Bolt, uh, or you know Justin Bieber, or what? A truly a true human that we would think would represent us to the rest of the universe. Well, <coughs> God chooses to represent Himself, to carry His message <coughs> into the world. Who does he choose to do that? How does he go about doing that? Today, if we look at Genesis, we actually see some of these questions answered. So we began looking at Genesis last year, at the beginning of last year, and we're returning to look at the rest of Genesis over these last four weeks of semester. If you've never read Genesis or are unsure of what it's about, in it, after you get through the creation of uh, the world and a flood with Noah, there's a man named Abraham. And Abraham and God's word to Abraham dominates this book. Actually, it dominates the rest of the storyline of the whole Bible. That God promises to one man, Abraham, that his offspring would become numerous and great. They would have a great land. And that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. And so, as we look at this chapter, this next episode in Genesis, we're looking to see how is this promise that God made to Abraham being worked out? What's the next step? And how is God going about bringing this blessing to the universe and the nations? Uh, as we get into having a look at that, this passage about uh, Isaac and Rebecca and David and Esau, I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask God to help us to understand his word. Well, thanks for this time together. I pray that as we look at this part of Genesis, you might help us to understand what you have to say, help me to be able to speak uh, well, to be able to explain your word well. I pray for Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to get you guys to look at uh, this, this passage, or the first part of this passage, uh, to see what you notice. Uh, obviously, it's not everything about the life of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. 
but what do you what things do you notice being recorded for us? I'll get you to have a look on your tables just from that verse 19 down to verse 23. And uh, just see what things you notice along the way. Pretty significant stuff. 
because the whole promise that God made to Abraham is about him blessing the nations through his children. And you can see that's how this passage kicks off, thinking about Abraham. Abraham. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, who in fact you've forgotten. Uh, you've had a while before picking the book up again. And just a note on reading Genesis. Genesis, when it was written, didn't come with chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. The way that the writer divided up his material was this phrase in verse 19. <coughs> this is like a new chapter. These are the generations of. And so back in chapter, uh, chapter 1, you these are the generations. Chapter 2, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And these are the generations of Adam. And these are the generations of. So you know you've got a new chapter beginning uh, when you come to these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. And we get a bit of uh, family detail. Uh, you notice too, uh, something significant you, you picked up, verse 21, that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Uh, Rebecca is barren. That is, she can't have children. Hasn't been able to have children. And we've seen this already, in fact, in our last generation, to um, Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't have children. Sarah couldn't have children. And that's the the conflict or the problem in the whole narrative is that God makes <coughs> an amazing promise to Abraham that he'll be the father of many nations. He has no children. And his wife, Sarah, uh, and Sarah, changed the name changed to Sarah, uh, she's about 90 years old before she has any children. And the promise is reiterated to Abraham over time, saying, no, you will have children. You will have children. Uh, but you just don't have any children. Here, the same problem. Uh, Rebecca is barren. She has no children. And so they, they Isaac and Rebecca pray, and God answers their prayer. God will be faithful to another generation. Now this theme of God working through the children of barren women or a barren woman is going to occur numerous times throughout Scripture. Uh, so Samson's mother uh, and father couldn't have children, and so Samson was um, uh, special. Uh, Hannah and her son Samuel, Hannah couldn't have children, and all the way through. And then it's no surprise when you come to the climax of the blessing that God makes to Abraham in the person of Jesus that his mother, well, not that she's barren, she's a virgin and she has a child. Uh, the impossible thing of being barren and having children is turned into this freakishly impossible thing of a virgin having a child. And so we're not surprised when it happens when it comes along. But something else we see in, in this chapter and throughout the narrative of Genesis and indeed the whole Bible is God choosing to work in a way that we wouldn't choose to work or working through people that we wouldn't particularly choose if it was up to us. Uh, God keeps his promises through seemingly impossible circumstances, barren women giving birth, is this just another instance of that happening? Or is there something new here? Well, I think there's a few new things here. 
Well, first of all, we see that uh, Rebecca's um, pregnant, the, the prayer is answered, and she's not having a very fun time. Pick that up along the way. Uh, apparently, pregnancy is uncomfortable. I've not experienced that. Actually, I know I have experienced it myself. Uh, discomfort during pregnancy. My wife was pregnant and like sleeping in the same bed with someone who was pregnant. It's uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, it's uncomfortable. But Rebecca cries out to the Lord saying, Why is this happening to me? What is this what is this distress? And God does reply to her prayer in verse 23, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. There is the anticipation of animosity and conflict between these two, even before they're born, while they're still in the womb. They're going to be at each other's throats. Unlike most twins that I've met who seem to get on so well, uh, these guys are going to be divided. Now, just as an aside, a complete aside, notice that God does answer Rebecca's prayer and Isaac's prayer to have children. But it doesn't mean that everything is just beautiful and rosy. In fact, the answer to prayer is not just pregnancy, which is great, but it's actually discomfort. It's actually not a very nice situation that she's going through. Just to notice that if you do get an answer to prayer, it doesn't mean everything's just going to be beautiful and peachy and roses. In fact, answer to prayer may bring discomfort that you weren't expecting. Or conversely, just because you pray for something and it happens, uh, or life is comfortable, doesn't mean that it's necessarily God at work. God's not about bringing comfort in all situations. Um, that's just awesome. So here we have the family of God's promise. Two boys, they're going to be at each other's throats. And so Esau is born, uh, red and hairy. If that's a surprise to his parents, I'm not sure how many people have worn like a hairy cloak. Um, but he looks red, so they call him Esau. So he's, uh, which has to do with the word red. Now, where do these guys go? Well, verse 27, we see what happens with Esau. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. He owned a huge and rifles. <laughs> I guess he got up early in the morning and didn't come home till he was hungry. He's the guy who's out and about. Uh, and yeah, he's pretty active. Jacob, by contrast, was, verse 27, quiet man, dwelling in the tents. Uh, we find out he can cook. He's useful around the home. He's domestically trained. Except that his name means uh, usurper or deceiver, like one who grabs the heel, which comes from their struggle inside the womb. And you can see that coming through in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, which is also red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew 
and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. His birthright being his the birth order. He's the only one. He's the one who uh, is destined to inherit everything from his father. But he despises his birthright and he sells it. He sells the inheritance for dal, I think. Lentils. Uh, now, I like dal, I think. But I don't think I'd sell the whole family home and everything for a pot of dal, as nice as it is. Uh, he's impulsive, this Esau. I think he might have ADD, I'm not sure. Uh, but he sells the inheritance for, for dal. But what about Jacob? He's a total scumbag. What does he do? He comes. His brother comes in hungry. Fair enough. He's been out hunting all day. He normally does, and he won't even give him some of his lentil stew that he's made up. He's so opportunistic that he'll take advantage of his brother and give him food only at a very costly, costly price. Well, he could have gone down to the Indian diner down the road and got cheaper. Esau was stupid enough to go for it, but Jacob, Jacob, man, I wouldn't want to be his brother. I don't know if you've got siblings like that, who never give anything away, except at a great cost, really stingy. Well, Jacob is that sort of man and woman. Well, there's our family, and Isaac and Rebecca does turn out to be all that much better either in the way that they were carrying on. In fact, Rebecca, who likes Jacob rather than Esau, works everything out for Jacob's success and Esau's uh, demise. If we were choosing a family, what sort of family to represent sort of God to the world or even represent the best of humanity? What family would we choose? You've got the guesses? For you two, family that represents the best of humanity. The Obamas. The Obamas. <laughs> yeah, with their little cute little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if they have got these or maybe shot. Any other families that come to mind? The Coppins. The Coppins. You've been to our place. Or maybe the royal family. I mean, they got <laughs> 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 the cut ashes. <laughs> 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 I thought maybe Bono and his family. I don't know what his family is. But he's really, you know, switched on by his hands about or Bob Geldof. Anyone knows him? And his family. Anyway, God chooses his family. Jacob with the sister. <coughs> Esau, the idiot, and his parents who can't control them, and, he, and a mother who works things out for, well, not very nice people. It's this way that God works, because God chooses to work through families and people that we wouldn't expect. And it's a real obstacle for people, isn't it, when they read the Bible, and they come across characters like this, and this isn't even their words, but we read those passages as well. People heap criticism 
put God and the Bible because they read it and they go, how can there be such like awful scumbags in the Bible? How can obviously this can't be true? Obviously, God can't be a worthwhile God to worship because look at the ridiculous people they use. Actually, Richard Dawkins in his book God's Illusion, which is getting a bit old now, uh, he revert, refers to this type of thing as the ubiquitous weirdness of the Bible and tries to unmask how, uh, how stupid uh, the Bible narrative is uh, with God using questionable characters to forward his, his ends. In these chapters of Genesis, we're being shown something very special. God is not done with sinful humanity. God is not is not done and finished with selfish, uh, ignorant, self-serving people. He's going to use such people to bring about his purposes. Why? Not because of their beautiful character, but just because God wants to. Out of sheer mercy and grace. And it's compounded, as we see, point two, uh, point three, sorry, circumstances that shouldn't occur. Along with people that we wouldn't use, God uses circumstances that shouldn't occur. And God upsets the order of things and the, uh, the way things should be, he gets everything wrong. Firstly, the older will serve the younger. That's the word that's spoken to Rebecca about the two boys. Even before they were born, the Lord told Rebecca, the one shall, one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Now, those of us who are younger siblings uh, secretly cheer all the way through the narrative this morning. It should be. Younger, younger siblings, youngest children here? Yes, we'll cheer uh, But in this culture, uh, at this time, the firstborn was not just the one that people look up to, but they were the one who get all the power, all the glory. They were the ones who are the honoured ones in the family. They are the ones who receive the inheritance. They're the ones through whom the, the, the family line will be continued. And so for the younger one to be the one who's the top dog, the one who's ahead of the older one, is just wrong. It's just, it's just wrong. That should not happen. Uh, it's something like an analogy for one... Um, a first year science student lecturing a senior lecturer in science. Uh, it just wouldn't happen. It's just wrong. It's the oldest serving the end. Secondly, selling the birthright. Uh, Jacob takes advantage of Esau. Uh, admittedly, Esau's an idiot. Uh, but nonetheless, Jacob makes Esau sell his birthright. It just shouldn't happen that it happens that way. Thirdly, uh, the blessing is going to go to the younger one, who is a deceiver, and it's going to go by deceitful means. Now, you don't have that, this part of the passage uh, printed for you. Uh, but Jacob receives the blessing from his father, Isaac, that should have gone to his son, Esau, the older one. And so, down in verse 26, uh, sorry, uh, then as Isaac uh, on his deathbed, then the father Isaac said to him, 
thinking that it's Esau, but it's actually Jacob. Come near and kiss me, my son. Isaac couldn't see because he was too uh, blind and old. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Why did he smell the smell of his garments? Because his Jacob's mother, Rebecca, had covered Jacob's arms with skins of goats to, just, to make him smell like Esau. He didn't know what Esau actually smelled like, but that actually worked. So Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Jacob had said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the job is completed. The birthright that has been sold, the blessing that should have gone to Esau has gone to Jacob. God chooses one who turns out to be a deceiver. Not just to continue the promise, but it's through Jacob that the nation of Israel actually gets its name. He's called Israel. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. More of that coming up. So we have here not just how God keeps his promises, but God's showing us his character and the way he does things. He doesn't use circumstances that are ordinary. He doesn't use the sort of circumstances that we would engineer and seek to bring about. He'll even bless the scumbag, not because he's a scumbag, Jacob, but because he just chooses to show mercy according to his sovereign choice. And friends, these guys, Jacob and Esau, become the, <coughs> the true analogy, the true snapshot of God's mercy that Paul uses in the New Testament. He brands it home in Romans 9, the mercy that belongs to God alone. You drop the verse down, I'll read it for you. Romans 9, verse 10, and follow it. And not only so, but also, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, they, they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we then say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it, then it depends not on human exertion, uh, human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so Jacob and Esau become the way that God shows that his sovereign choice his mercy is his alone. And he'll choose to show that to whoever he wants to. Whether it's a deceiving scumbag like Jacob, who's just trying to do things for his own ends, or however, whoever. Of course, we're probably not any different to Jacob. 
just to do things slightly differently, but still use our opportunities and resources to serve ourselves. But God can still choose to use us and have mercy on us. God chooses Abraham and his descendants because of his mercy. And so God's choice of Jacob over Esau rams home this point. See, when did God choose Jacob? When he saw that he was a deceiver and an opportunist? When did he reject Esau? When he saw that he was a hairy headless? No, God chose them before they had been born. Either before they had done anything good or bad. God loved Jacob but hated Esau. We scream out internally, sometimes externally. That's not fair. How can God do that? How can God choose the one, either of them, before they are born, before they've done anything good or bad? That's not fair. God uses people who are the worst of people. That's not fair. We see the innocent around the world die at the hands of scumbags. That's not fair. It can't be that way. A storm in one part of the world wipes out billions of dollars and the livelihoods of millions. The other side of the world, it's great. That's not fair. It shouldn't be that way. Do you call out for justice? Never, and I do. But don't ask God to treat you fairly. Be very careful of, of demanding justice from God because you might actually get it. If we demand justice from God, we demand fairness, God's righteous judgment, then none of us have any hope. For before God, we're all cousins. Before God, we're, we're all Jacobs. So it's deceivers who are deserving of God's judgment. Call out for justice and you'll get judgment. No, don't call for justice. But beg for mercy. Beg for mercy. Just like God had mercy on whom he chose to have mercy. Beg God for mercy. The other option is judgment. If Hurricane Irma was God's judgment, then we are all like those boats that you see on the video that were affected by Hurricane Irma, piled up corpses <coughs> under the judgment of God. We're all like that. Whether we're billion dollar yachts or just a leaky canoe, whatever, wherever on the scale you think you fit, we all perish in the face of God's judgment. We are all completely at his mercy. And yet his mercy is only inches from any of us, no matter who we are. For God in his mercy has gone out to the end of the earth and into the universe, his blessing of the nations, coming through Abraham's offspring, the Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus that we have shelter from God's righteousness. In Jesus, we have God's mercy. 
beg God for mercy and receive it through the Lord Jesus. For it's reached us, even here, at the ends of the earth. Tremendous few things that have been happening in recent time. Uh, only last night, a uh, gathering of Mandarin friends, 10 uh, Mandarin uh, people who didn't know anything about the gospel. Heard that for the first time last night. The gospel going to the end of the earth. Brother James Chen uh, bringing that word to them. Uh, in the last night, um, something for the Lord's girl, the message going out. Uh, again last week, uh, I think for the week forward, uh, Josh Kidley speaking to a group of people who, a few of who, didn't know the gospel. The gospel continues to go out in God's mercy on the nations. Continue, friends, to put their trust in the Lord Jesus and to make his message known. It's only in Christ that we have mercy from God. We're going to pray and this will lead us in prayer.